Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Okay, we're experimenting with something new on the show this week. Now, as many of you know, Commune is not just a podcast, but it's also a course platform that features a huge breadth of thought leaders, authors, teachers, and increasingly more and more functional and integrative medicine doctors. The course library on onecommune.com now contains hundreds of programs spanning personal growth, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. I think of it as all of the different components that inform holistic well-being. Now, one particularly popular program is Russell Brand's course on recovery, in which Russell creatively and occasionally profanely adapts the 12-step system into a comprehensive tool for living a more examined, healthier and spiritually engaged life. Now there's an assumption that 12-step recovery is for addicts and alcoholics, and that's true. That's indeed how Russell found his way to the 12 steps. But as Russell will soon demonstrate in this course, it is also an effective and protein tool for untangling yourself from life's more insidious addictions and attachments, including unhealthy relationships to work, or social media, or sex, or gambling, or food, or sugar, or pornography, or codependency. In the past, we have published individual lessons from courses like Russell's here on the podcast. But today, we're trying something new, as I mentioned. So over the next six days, we will be releasing the first six parts of Russell's 12-part series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, including a variety of bonus lessons and worksheets, then I encourage you to go to onecommune.com recovery and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com recovery. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library and enjoy the full length version of Russell's course on recovery. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are really the reason we are able to create and share content like this. And if you regularly tune into this show, well, I ask that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher and tap follow show. And leave us a review if you're so inclined to show your support. It really does make a huge difference. Okay, on with the show. Enjoy this excerpt from Russell Brand's Commune course on recovery. Let me give you a bit of an overview of what you can anticipate and expect, although anticipation and expectation are some of the things you're probably going to have to deal with. They're probably the very kind of things that mean you have to acquire courses like this because you're living in a constant state of expectation. 12-step recovery for me is nothing less than a system for altering my consciousness, for creating a state of awakening. The thing that's ingenious about it is it was developed and evolved for the most 
obvious forms of addiction, such as alcoholism and addiction. If you're a crackhead, a smackhead, an alcoholic, it's a pretty obvious problem. The social, medical, criminal, judicial problems that you'll encounter make it clear to you that your life is gone wildly awry, astray, that you are dealing with complexity, conundrum, and calamity near consistently and constantly. But whether or not you're a person in recovery right now, working the 12 steps around behaviors or drugs or alcohol, or a person that's curious about how you could evolve a new perspective, this course is gonna give you the tools and explain the methods in a manner and a language that you will understand. Although this is like a um, quite colloquial, chatty and casual dialectic between me and you right now, we're dealing with nothing less than a system for inducing enlightenment. I don't want that to sound overly grandiose, but I do want you to know that what the 12 steps does is it takes you from a state of unawareness to a state of awareness, a state of unconsciousness to a state of consciousness. In my own life, this is how it hit me, the way that the 12 steps hits most people that work it. I was in a rock bottom state of absolute desperation, a heroin addict, a crack addict, an alcoholic. Every aspect of my behavior was problematic. It was clear that I needed intervention. A curious thing that I'll mention at this early stage of the journey that we're on together is that what I was looking for curiously, and this is not something that I'd have been able to appreciate it, if you would have plainly told me, what I was looking for was an awakening, a spiritual connection. Seems like an odd way to look for a spiritual awakening and connection, sitting around in doorways, doing smack, hitting up the Martell bottle, pipe hitting, boozing, whoring. Seems like an odd way to look for God, to look for oneness, and indeed it is. But the reason the 12 steps works and the reason that I believe it was discovered in relation to substance misuse and alcohol misuse is because when we form an attachment to an object, whether that's a physical object or a kind of a neurological compound suspended in our own mind, meaning I suppose that my relationship with my work is an object, my relationship with my wife can become an object in my mind. If that relationship is not conscious, aware, and functional, it has the potential to cause me pain. And often, and this is a curious thing, which I believe is where the universality of the 12 steps comes into its own, is I nominate external things to be salvation, to redeem me, to make me feel better about myself. Now that is, um, that's clear and obvious when we're dealing with drugs and alcohol. So it's no coincidence that the 12 steps was devised and conceived around alcohol because when a person's got an attachment to drugs and alcohol, the consequences are obvious, the behaviors are observable. It's a clear and evident problem. The way that this program functions mechanically is that instead of regarding a problem in your life as a sort of a sign of deterioration or a wound, it becomes a point of initiation and inauguration. It's a kind of, we make a, trans, a mental translation. Rather than seeing a problem as uh, like a, a deficit or a wound, we see it instead as a, an invitation. How that functions for me is, as soon as I'm like 
agitated, discontent, irritated or afraid. I don't see that as like something erroneous or something that's gone wrong with me. I see it as a signal, something that I need to read. So like when you're excessively drinking or you're excessively taking drugs or you're looking at a lot of porn or you're spending a lot of money, the fuel behind it is a craving a yearning, a desire to acquire, a, a forging of an attachment to external phenomena to ameliorate an inner malady. Like, and the relationship between this, the identification of this problem and a spiritual experience is a, like almost a total one. It can be difficult to see alcoholism or endless spending or obsessive watching as pornography as a hankering after a spiritual experience. But in a very obvious way, what you're trying to do is make yourself feel better. And that is a spiritual issue. The function of spirituality is to amend the way that you feel, is to address a kind of um, a disalignment, a disjunct between your inner and outer lives. So. Once you've admitted, I'm not happy in my marriage, I'm not happy in my work, or whatever it is, once you've admitted, this is a problem for me, that's an opportunity for an inhalation and a moment of reflection. I've got a problem. It's like a lot of people won't do that. Have you noticed that in your own life? A lot of people are like, no, I'm very happy. I'm, really, like, I'm happy in this relationship. I'm happy in this job. I'm happy drinking. I'm happy continually getting in fights. Well, the, the 12 steps as a point of initiation does require an honest appraisal. It, without that, obviously you can't proceed or progress because you're not open to the possibility of change. See, the, the very simple thing is that this is a program of change. Whilst it does involve some quite um, potentially esoteric ideas about you know, consciousness and, dare I say it, God, it, it is underwritten by the possibility that, by the optimistic possibility that your situation, that your life, that your problems can change. Once you've admitted you've got a problem, there is an opportunity for change. So whether you want to improve your understanding of 12-step recovery for application in obvious and already identified problematic areas such as drugs or alcohol, sex addiction, porn addiction, gambling, spending, excessive eating, not eating enough, or, and this is crucial, just a vague sense of unfulfillment a general sense of disconnection or discontentment, then I believe that this course is going to be helpful for you. Step one, conventionally put, we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our life had become unmanageable is your honest entry point into a 12-step program given that our remit and the way that we're approaching our work is that we want to be able to apply this program the way that I do across every aspect of our life. That could be a severe addiction issue. You could be watching this thinking, I'm drinking too much, my 
drinking is ruining my life, I need to change it. Or it could be something more vague and difficult to identify. I don't want to be in relationships that make me feel bad about myself. I don't want to be working in a job that's making me feel inferior. But <clears throat> whatever it is that you're working on, the candid and honest admission that you have a problem and that your life is unmanageable as a result of that problem is our entry point. That honest acknowledgement, mentally in my mind at least accompanied by the sound of a record scratching off, a point of arrest. I don't want to proceed any further down this path. When I interpreted the 12 steps, I changed it from a rather wordy, articulate and brilliant appraisal of powerlessness and unmanageability to the more succinct and perhaps vulgar, are you fucked? If you're watching this video, if you've subscribed to this, if you find yourself in a position where you're unhappy and lost, this is the step one moment. The moment of, I'm, I can't cope with this anymore. I don't want to continue down this path anymore. So whatever it is you're dealing with, there is a, a further requirement here. And that requirement is for specificity. I reckon that the reason that the 12 step program was initially formulated around alcohol and then drugs was that when there is a clear and obvious object like alcohol and alcoholism, it becomes, it's easy to diagnose and it's easy to, not easy because it's like incredibly complex and painful, agonizing and difficult and a lot of people can't ever ever do it, but at least it is clear that the, that Alcohol is the thing that needs to be removed from your life. That, that your problems are clustering around your misuse of drink. When I think about my own, like, my own step one around crack, heroin and alcohol, firstly, actually, it seemed like a bloody difficult thing to accept. Like when people said, the reason that you're getting in these, the reason that you're getting in trouble in relationships, the reason that you don't like yourself, the reason you've got low self-esteem and that you're continually getting in trouble with the police and that nothing's ever working out for you, it's because you're drinking and you're taking drugs. Are you willing to one day at a time stop drinking and taking drugs? For a long time, the answer was no. I wasn't willing to see that as the problem. I wasn't willing to embark on a journey of change. Having done that, and having seen the success of it, I'm now willing in pretty much eventually, almost any situation, to take a 12-step journey. Because, you know, as soon as you've removed alcohol and drugs from your life, if that's the problem you're dealing with, you are confronted with the myriad other problems in your life that are required to change. And these things are no longer external, they're internal issues. So what we have to do when taking the step one is identify what it is you want to change. I've worked step one around drugs and alcohol. I've, I admitted, right, yeah, my drug and alcohol problem is I'm powerless over it. I can't control it. Once I start, I can't stop. The consequences of me drinking and taking drugs are creating unmanageability. This word unmanageability can be understood as 
like once I start drinking and taking drugs, I don't know where I'm gonna end up. I don't know what the consequences are gonna be. I don't know when I'm gonna be able to resume control of my life again. It becomes a kind of helter-skelter. Like when applying it to something more insidious, less obvious, like I'm powerless over my use of the phone and my life has become unmanageable, it's kind of, look, there's no doubt that it's more subtle, but I'm still looking at the phone when I don't want to look at the phone, and it's still making me feel not good about myself. I don't feel good at myself if I'm staring at my phone instead of talking to my children. I don't feel good about myself if I'm like unconsciously and um, sort of kind of, somehow my volition is being usurped by a bloody device that I've paid for. That doesn't, that doesn't feel good. That's an, another thing that's very beautiful about the 12 steps is this learning to recognize my own intuition and my own feelings as being somehow valid. The point that I'm feeling unhappy or dissatisfied is not something that I need to suppress or ignore or get over. It's the beginning of letting go of something. It's the beginning of changing something. I am working this program at the moment around phone use. I'm working it around the way that I behave in professional environments. I'm working this program around the way that I treat my wife. So the first thing I have to do is acknowledge that it's a problem and that my life is unmanageable, that in regard to that particular issue, I'm fucked. So at this point in working the course, you do have to clearly identify what it is that you wanna change. That's not to say that you can't, like me, work it across multiple issues. That's what I do. I'm right now working it across multiple issues. But you do need to be specific. You do need to say, I want to change my relationship with food. I want to change the way I talk to my partner. I want to change my relationship with my sexuality or my sexual behavior. You do at this point need to identify it. It's not enough to say my whole life's a mess. I'm generally unhappy because you're not that doesn't give you a sufficient purchase for the scaling of this problem. You need to identify, okay, what I'm dealing with is this. So like, you know, just to give you an idea of the scope that it can be worked in, you know, for me initially it was crack and heroin. I was willing to admit that it was a problem. I had no choice but to admit it was a problem and that my life had become unmanageable. And now I'm working it around my use of technology, negative thinking, you know, like it can become much subtler and it is equally successful. It's obviously harder to work an abstinence program around something as involuntary as negative thinking. But what I can do is recognize, oh, I'm habitually engaged in negative projection and anxiety. That's a problem, I wanna change it. You know, once I've done that, you know, then I can, if I choose to, embark on the rest of the steps. I can accept the possibility of change. I can ask for help. I can inventory. I can then observe the patterns that uh, uh, recur in these situations. I can see if anyone else has been harmed as a result. I can stay aware. I can recognize that a component of change is gonna be prayer and meditation, uh, a changing of my perspective through spiritual practices, and that, the end result of all of this is to become of service, to become of use, to ultimately change my perspective from 
a kind of infatuation with self-fulfillment to, to a willingness to be of service to others. Accompanying this course, you have some worksheets and materials that you can use uh, along with this video. I mean, if looking at my face on a laptop or a phone isn't sufficient to deliver you to salvation, I begin to wonder what the hell the problem is. But there are also some written materials. I just want to talk you through how they work. Like, so, firstly, we identify what we want to change. For the purposes of this exercise, my example is like my use of tech. Like, even, I can be even more specific than that, looking at my phone in the morning, first thing when I wake up. The reason, I'm, the reason I'm using that, even though it sort of seems a bit minor and trivial, is that I'm gonna operate on the assumption that if you're <laughs> sitting there withdrawing from heroin or on your way to score more, that for a start, you will require additional medical, psychiatric, and therapeutic support, but also somehow, the more subtle the problem, the more the efficacy of the program is demonstrated. So, like in my case, I wanna change my phone use. I wanna not look at it first thing in the morning. I, I don't want my phone to be given the job of making me feel better about who I am. I recognize that's an inappropriate function to give a, a piece of technical equipment. Next question is, what pain or fear do I associate with change in this area? Now that sort of might seem like rather grand for such a trivial route of inquiry, but the pain and fear that I associate with, the pain and fear that I associate with like not looking at my phone first thing in the morning is that I'm kind of confronted with the general and vague sense of anxiety that I wake up with every day that I try to negate with some external distraction. If I look at my phone, maybe someone will have sent me a text message telling me that I'm fantastic. Russell, you're terrific. You can now rest assured, go back to bed, turn over, bury your face back in the pillow. You're absolutely fine. There's nothing about you you need to alter. The, in reality, I know that there'll be things on my phone that annoy me, work emails, and suddenly I'm not facing the day, I'm not embarking on my day thinking about how can I be useful, how can I help others, how can I be a better dad today, I'm sort of already bogged down in, the, in minutiae. So the pain and fear that I associate with change is that if I wake up in the morning and I've not got my phone, then I've got no excuse to not meditate, for example, that I, I'm going to be confronted with this sort of vast open ice scapes of every day. Like, I like to anchor my day to something minute and quotidian. There's only so much horizon I can bear. So that's the fear that I associate with change in this area. What pleasure am I getting out of not changing? The pleasure I get out of not changing, I guess like with all forms of addiction, and this is the reason that addiction is a perfect metaphor for a material attachment, is that, the, with an addictive behavior, it's like, this is a sort of an experiment that could be run in a lab with a rat. You reward, like I'm rewarded about one in every five times that I engage in an addictive behavior. It was the same with drugs, it was the same with sex, same with pornography. Once in a while, it's fantastic, it's terrific. But the rest of the time, it's pretty dismal and disappointing, as all forms of a material attachment ultimately will be. There is no way that I can make myself feel spiritually fulfilled or even comforted by looking at a phone or smoking crack. Not long term, eventually it will lead me to a point of disappointment and dismay because these objects are not capable of addressing an inner malady. What pleasure am I getting out of not changing? The pleasure I'm getting out of not changing is once in a while, it works for me. Once in a while, someone will text me and say, you've got this job or you're terrific.
It's never enough. And in a way, the problem, even with the positive outcome, is it it engages me for longer in a behaviour that isn't ultimately beneficial. So I'd be better off to, like, as soon as I consciously engage with that behaviour and I'm willing to change it, the possibility of real change, of real improvement begins. What will it cost me if this doesn't change is the next question. Like, and again, you know, if you're dealing with heroin or you're dealing with paying sex workers and, like, when you're in a... A marriage or you're dealing with like looking furtively at porn continually, it's kind of more obvious to sort of identify what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your self-esteem. It's going to cost you uh, uh, your relationship with your partner. But like when it's like looking at the phone, well, I, you know, it's less obvious, but it's still evident. What it cost me is my peace of mind. It cost me my autonomy. It cost me freedom. Like I'm designating a, an object as a kind of... Uh, as a stimulant for happiness. I suppose that's why the addiction metaphor is a good one. Stimulus response as a means for living. This is the way that consumerism and materialism operate. This is why I think addiction is rife, because we are continually taught that we can fulfill ourselves, improve ourselves, advance ourselves with the acquisition of an external material object or through the validation and approval of other people. That, for me, has the same sort of paradigm shape as here is some heroin, I've taken the heroin, here is some alcohol, I've taken that alcohol, here is pornography, I've used the pornography. Wherever you are on the scale, if you're using an external object as a uh, tool to ameliorate inner malady, you're engaged in addiction. Any behaviour that you're engaged in, that you want to change, and when you try to change it or try to stop it, you can't, I think can rightly be referred to as addiction. To keep it specific, again, what benefits can I have? What benefits could I expect from changing my phone use? Again, if you're talking about stopping drinking alcohol, the benefits are obvious. I'm going to save money. I'm going to feel healthier. I'm going to lose weight. I'm not going to feel that constant despair of alcoholism, vomiting and belching my way for every day. When it's something sort of seemingly minor, but like phone use, what benefits will I get? Well, you know, the truth is that I have begun to change that behaviour. For one week, I stopped charging my phone in my bedroom. I charge it downstairs. I don't look at it first thing in the morning. And what happens is, like, I feel, I feel, in a sense, it's with a subtler form of behavioural change, like not using my phone to soothe myself in the morning, the benefit I feel is not immediately obvious. The thing that I felt most immediately was a bit inconvenienced and a bit put out by not having my phone there. But two or three days in, I started to feel a kind of relief. None of us feel good about how we've been inveigled and hypnotised by technology. And having, for me, as a person that works a 12-step programme, Recognising that I can alter my behaviour around something as seemingly minor as that, it's fulfilling. It, there's a relief in it. So that one of the benefits are that in the morning now when I wake up, I'm thinking about dealing with the people I live with and love, not dealing with a fucking telephone. So for our purposes today, what we want is a clear understanding of what it is we're willing to change. Before we fill out our worksheets, 
which, you know, I'll be doing in my own little life, you'll be doing over there in your world. Before we embark on that, let's take a moment to consider and to commit to what it is we want to change. That could be something as obvious and severe as substance misuse, or something as subtle and seemingly trivial as technological attachment such as I've been describing. But whatever it is, let's envisage it, commit to it, and be very clear that the reason we're working the 12 steps around this particular issue is we acknowledge it's a problem. At this point, the step one juncture, that's all that's required of you. This is a problem, I want to change it. Just an honest acknowledgement of that. So take a moment, wherever you are in the world, not if you're operating heavy machinery, and that's not the ideal situation to conduct this course in, I may say, if you're driving a bus or a tube train or an aircraft, complete that, then undertake this course. Take a moment to acknowledge, what is it I want to change? I mean, I might say, don't, <laughs> step one, don't fly a Boeing 747 while doing a self-help video. That's like a problem you can start working on in your life. So take a moment to acknowledge what it is you want to change, to make a commitment to it. So for me, as I've said, I don't want to be dependent on my phone for approval anymore. I don't want my phone to be anything other, in fact, than a tool for communication. So now, right, from this moment on, far more when I've filled in this worksheet, whenever I engage in that behavior, I will recognize Wow, because you know, like I may not immediately change because this isn't as severe and pronounced as heroin and people relapse on drugs all the time. But once you've acknowledged it's a problem, once you've made that mental commitment, then you can never again undertake that behavior with the same kind of cavalier innocence. It's been clocked, you've grasped yourself up, you've acknowledged this is a problem. That's what step one is. It's the first step on the 12-step journey. This is a problem. I want to change it. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from Russell Brand's Commune course on recovery. Now, if you want to watch the full video version of this course, including a variety of bonus lessons and worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com recovery and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com recovery. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's course library and enjoy the full length version of Russell's course on recovery. Of course, feel free to email me with any suggestions or criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you. Mm -hmm.